0: This is APCO Forum, powered by APCO Worldwide, an advisory and advocacy communications firm. Now, here's your host, John Deftarius.
1: Hello, and welcome to APCO Forum, timely conversations catalyzing progress on global topics. I'm John Deftarius of APCO Worldwide. All week long, we're following the United Nations General Assembly. The 76th session is an important one as global leaders grapple with the post-COVID-19 pandemic recovery and at the same time try to keep momentum for the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which sometimes slide off the agenda table, particularly during a pandemic. All week long on the forum, we're going to focus in on a key issue of the day, But to kick off our series, we want to look at the major issues on the table for the global leaders. There's a lot of complexity there. And to do so, it's my great pleasure to bring in Marjorie Krause, the founder and chairman of APCO Worldwide, and Brad Staples, uh, our CEO. And Marjorie, I think it's a good place to start. Why are we in the APCO Forum? Why did we start the series now around the U.N. General Assembly? This is something that you really wanted to push.
0: Well, as you said, John, you know, this is a very important time for everybody and post-COVID there's a lot of talk about, hopefully it's post-COVID, about resets and, um, and UNGA is the rallying place, I guess, for looking at uh, this move to greater purpose. For a world and a world that's been in a lot of, had faced a lot of different problems. And so I thought that um, APCO, which has always been um, in the place of trying to help our clients see around corners, that this was one way to keep people current.
1: That's a good way of framing it. Let's bring up uh, what I think are the major issues that we want to address in our time together and what the global leaders, of course, need to try to advance here. Uh, Starting with international cooperation, I put it in the context of reviving international cooperation. We can get to that in just a moment with Brad. Uh, Mending US-China relations, a very important window in time. Delivering climate uh, agenda items uh, and COP26, which is just around the quarter in the first week of November. Advancing women's equality and leveraging technology, are some technology companies too big or are we going to hold back their growth in the future with regulation? Again, major issues to to grapple with this week. And Brad, I wanted to talk about the nature of international cooperation. I think it's fair in my 30 years of coverage. I've never seen such a low point when it comes to the big picture of the United Nations, uh, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization. Uh, They seem a little bit tired because many leaders are going on their own. Uh, What does this mean for other organizations and for business to reignite, if you will, collaboration, Brad?
2: I think it's a really tough time, John, for uh, corporate leaders to navigate a world that's transitioned from being predictable, unipolar with the U.S. in a dominant position to one these days that's defined by you know, strong men in regional leadership roles across the world, more and more complexity. And I don't think it's something that's come upon us rapidly. We've seen uh, this transition taking place over an extended period of time. We hear a lot of commentators talking about America first, Trump's doctrine, dislocating the global environment as it was, but I don't think that's that's true. I think in many respects we saw a transition where, you know, uh, George W. Bush and Donald Rumsfeld were thinking about old Europe as a, as opposed to new, new Europe. With President Obama, we saw a shift to uh, you know a pivot towards uh, Asia. And we've seen a skepticism, as you were just saying, about the role of the multilateral organizations, UN and other bodies over this period of time. And with President Biden in charge, I think we're seeing continuity in many respects in several of these areas. But it's an unpredictable time. And I think for corporate leaders, the one thing we know is that they have to step up. There's an expectation from citizens, from consumers, from employees that business leaders are going to play a bigger role on the world stage on these critical issues from climate change uh, through to human rights issues.
1: And we've taken on record debt, as you know, if you look at some of the major G7 economies, for example, they surpassed better than 200% of debt to GDP in the UK in the third quarter of last year is 300%. Uh, this is of course to combat COVID-19, Marjorie. Uh, how long does this last, do you think, in terms of the impact on society, anxiety, planning uh, corporate uh, mergers, for example, and when you don't know growth's gonna hold up and the debt uh, burden that the governments are carrying, and as a result, we already see higher taxes being introduced. How long does this stay with us?
0: I've been in a lot of forums with various CEOs, and I think there's a lot of schizophrenia. I think we went from um, optimism and a renewal of a lot of the previous activities uh, prior to Delta becoming such a Um, a force in society to uh, now uh, maybe a little more conservatism. I I have said since the beginning of COVID that we have to look at the world in like six month increments. And I think we're going through this, you know, transition period where you don't know what's going to happen six months out. Um, And so I don't know that, um, you know, that the forces of inflation could make a big difference. And the uh, way in which governments put stimulus into society, uh, you know, trying to calibrate that against the, you know, the concern about inflation, I think has uh, has the whole um, economic environment in a bit of a state of flux, and so it causes all businesses, including our own, to to think about, you know, where do you make those investments, how fast do you make them, and how much of a risk do you take, and I think that. Those are always factors, but I think there's a lot more uncertainty in the environment right now. Uh,
1: Great point, Marjorie. Uh, Before the UNGA meeting, I thought it was interesting that uh, President Joe Biden had a conversation uh, with Xi Jinping uh, of China, saying we can compete with each other, uh, but also understand each other. So it was almost an olive branch, again, vis-a-vis the confrontation that Donald Trump had with uh, Beijing, of course. Uh, Brad, I thought it was interesting the European Union decided to sign a trade deal after the U.S. election and before Joe Biden took office. Can the European Union straddle both the number one and number two economies and the two superpowers of today?
2: I think they're certainly going to try to do that, John. I think um, there is the deployment of... You know, in enormous uh, resources in a recovery fund that's to prime a new, greener, digitalized economic recovery in Europe. Coupled with that, there's a policy and regulatory push to create an environment in which emerging European champions can appear on the global stage. Honestly, I think Europe is the world leader probably in one area above all others, and it's the global regulator. It's the global regulator on everything from antitrust to climate change questions. Whether it can become a dynamic uh, economic center uh, that can compete on uh, equal terms or credible terms with the levels of innovation uh, and support uh, that we see from the U.S. and China, I think there's there's a lot to be seen. Europe is certainly found wanting still on the global stage when it comes to kinetic security questions. Um, there's been that dislocation, I think, between the U.S. and Europe around the pullout from Afghanistan, which again leaves the Europeans in an uncertain place. And it's probably the Chinese and Russians who will benefit most from from that situation. So I think. Uh, Lots of questions, John, really, about Europe's role in this kind of multipolar kind of dynamic.
0: I wanted to add something to what uh, Brad was saying, because I think two things. One, going to the last question about the economy, when Brad mentioned the green economy and what's happening around climate, which I believe will be at the top of everybody's list uh, going forward in one way or another, everybody has to have a climate policy one way or the other. But I think that's a place that's like maybe a, a ray, of, forgive the analogy, ray of sunshine um, on, the, on the economic side too, because there's so much potential here for new technologies, innovation um, that could drive growth if, com- if countries are smart about how they're doing this. And we've seen that happen uh, with a, a couple of the countries where we are you know, very engaged. The second thing I just wanted to mention was about China, going back to China. I think that it's interesting that a lot of the companies we work with, um, who have um, who have big commitments in China, frankly, are looking to see how the political relationships can be managed, uh, but economic relationships can continue and maybe even become more robust, and don't want to conflate the uh, political scene with the economic science scene. So, um, you know, I think I think straddling this. Um, this situation will be very interesting to
1: watch. Yeah, I want to have you both comment on climate. Uh, First to you, Marjorie, and the $3.5 trillion in total that Joe Biden has on the table, uh, not just for green infrastructure, as you know, but also social programs, health care, education, uh, a better safety net. I almost see it as his uh, New Deal in the spirit of FDR. Uh, Does he plan on being a one-term president? He wants to get this done as something that's critical and something that Uh, business people can count on for the next decade in terms of a build-out?
0: Well, leaving the question of one-term president aside, I think that I I don't, you know, I can't speak, I haven't heard this directly, but my sense is that, you know, he has made a decision that he's gonna do what's right, whether it ends up being a one-term president or not, or however that plays out, that there are things that have to get done and that he's going to really aggressively push ahead. He also, I think, um, understands probably better than most um, the complexity of the political environment to do that. And so there will be certain things that will be agreed to that are fundamental to moving the US forward. And then the rest of this is going to be a question of negotiation about how much can be put under the infrastructure banner. But don't forget that that, those big sums are not for one year or one time. Those big sums are overtime um, and uh, they're investments for the future. So there can be some planning so that people know this amount of money's committed over X number of years and you can start moving forward on some of these longer term solutions.
1: Just around the corner, uh, Brad, is COP26. And I started hearing rumblings of a COP26 delay, whether that's for really going to happen is, is uncertain at this stage. It send a horrible signal. But with the fires and the floods we've seen, Uh, stretching from China uh, to the United States and points beyond uh, Eastern Russia as well in Siberia uh, it seems almost implausible we wouldn't have a deal that's concrete what's the mood music for you uh, in Europe and the dialogue with global CEOs
2: I'm not sure global CEOs are at the center of this conversation I think its populations across the globe its citizens and individuals who've made their voices heard it's clear that in a world without much consensus, there is a common view across the planet that um, we are in a climate emergency and something must be done about it. 65% of Americans think that pretty much the same numbers, even higher across the whole world. And those events you're talking about, John, whether it's wildfires or flooding or hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes, extreme low temperatures even in some places, that has been the picture just in 2021 across the entire planet. So this should be a moment that unifies humanity and gives um, government leaders the sense of urgency and impetus that they would need to act now. The question is, can we get that consensus in such a fractured global environment? And it's not at all certain because what we've seen in the past with these cop- meetings is that um, the lowest common denominator can often drag down the good intentions of some nations and the actual results can be quite modest. If we are heading in that direction, I think corporate leaders need to beware, because citizens and individuals expect businesses to step up and and more than do their part in terms of running their businesses sustainably and well with an eye to a you know, the environmental impact, those leaders individually are now expected to have a point of view and to drive change in situations where uh, elected leaders lack either the the vision or the wherewithal to do it. So one way or another, I think um, business leaders are either at the forefront of this conversation or they'll be dragged into it.
1: To your point, I I read a figure from KPMG that was suggesting that 96 percent of the global 250 companies all have an ESG policy for investment, environmental, social governance. So that says something to your point, Brad. Uh, And Marjorie, I wanted to bring up the the investment view on this. Money talks, does it not? You can't find the major sovereign funds or the major pension funds uh, or those from the universities investing in companies that don't have an ESG policy. That's a profound change in the last 24 months, I think.
0: It's a, it's a huge change. Um, it's kind of interesting because you know, we have a climate practice and we've been working with these companies. And the more progressive companies, they had a plan. You know, they've been talking about plans and moving forward. What has been this big impetus and stimulus is that you have the banks um, and you have the investors asking. Um, they see ESG as a risk factor. If you don't have a plan, They want to know um, how you're going to deal with any kind of climate uh, impact that's going to affect the bottom line of the company. So it has become into the mainstream big time. And uh, I think that we're going to see a lot more of this um, and a lot more demand for very specific ways in which companies can show that um, they are making, um, they're transforming on the climate side or on the uh, green side. Uh, just as a matter of uh, good business, not just good business practice, but as a matter of um, mitigating any kind of risk they might have.
1: Uh, Marjorie, we've had a shock because of COVID-19 and the the pandemic, of course, and then Afghanistan, and I bring that up in the context of advancing women's equality, two shocks that took place in a window of 18 months. Uh, We have a gender practice at APCO worldwide. How do you see those two factors playing out uh, in the months and years ahead, if you will?
0: I think we look at gender uh, two ways, we look at our own actions and then we also look at what we do with and for our clients and what's happening in the environment. We spend a lot of our pro bono time, our extra time, um, helping on women's empowerment issues, on on these workforce issues. Um, It's an important part of our DNA, we're the largest, globally, the largest majority women-owned business of our kind. And so we, I think, feel a special responsibility. Um, so I'm going to answer this in two parts. I think, in terms of our clients, um, you know, the the, the um, everybody is aware of of uh, the impact that COVID has had on women. Women have lost uh, proportionally a lot more than any other group of people because of their caregiving and and because people have had to uh, have had no choice. You can only do so much and it's hard to have the job, the kids, the the housekeeping and everything else when there's no infrastructure to support you. And that's part of why this is in the President's plan, um, because it's recognized that you can't solve some of these other problems if you can't um, provide some support system to the women uh, in the workforce. And around the world, the, the countries that know how to deploy women are the countries that seem to do the best from a GDP point of view as well. But the second thing is for APCO itself, um, we're um, trying to figure out things we can do to make it easier for women to come back in the workforce, as well as the way we treat women who are, you know, we're absolutely committed to equality uh, and equity within our own company. So we're announcing um, a a new uh, program called APCO Encore, which is going to help women who have dropped out of the workforce uh, find their path back. If they want to, and to do it through flexibility, through respect for the kind of schedules they have to hold, and for coming up with innovative ways in which people can share work, and um, and I think that um, that I think going forward, if we're going to solve these problems, and if business is going to take a lead, we have to come up with ways to do that that maybe haven't been thought of before.
1: Well, very interesting, uh, Marjorie. Thanks very much, uh, Brad. You interface with the major technology companies of the world. And one thing we learned during the COVID-19 pandemic is that we're very reliant on technology, actually kept us connected like we are today uh, on this platform that we're uh, utilizing. But we're also at this uh, cusp of a turning point, if you will, the European Union getting more aggressive with legislation against the big technology companies. I looked it up, you see Alphabet, uh, Google, having made better than 250 transactions since 2001, almost too big to fail. How do we find the balance, uh, a soft touch on legislation, but also controlling the use of data? What do, what do we learn out of the pandemic here? And, and what are you advising clients going forward?
2: Well, I, I think we you're absolutely right, John. We, we, we have seen how technology is central to not only our professional lives and uh, the economic context, but society and family interactions. We now have a very different relationship to technology. And it's it's clear that regulators across the world, governments across the world, are wrestling with this new dynamic. Because if we truly want a greener economy, it has to be a digital economy. And those platforms that create the context for future innovation and provide that connectivity that we've all depended on to keep society and the economy functioning as well as it has, um, are certainly areas of focus for Beijing, Brussels and Washington and elsewhere across the globe. But the way that they're being addressed is very different. What's clear is that a balanced, informed, intelligent approach is absolutely essential. Otherwise, we will all lose. And um, we want to build on the success of these uh, companies and have them enable the innovation and growth that the world needs over the next few years.
1: Good, I wanted to get your final thoughts in the world that we're living in now. Uh, I'll start with uh, Brad and then we'll finish up with Marjorie. The level of uncertainty that we're dealing with uh, kind of in the COVID-19 era, if you will, the amount of government spending, the response to the challenges we have, companies trying to adapt to this, what do you think is the biggest issue on the table today outside the UNGA itself, and what needs to be contended with, Brad? And then, Marjorie, uh,
2: please wrap us up. I think, from the corporate perspective, let me narrow the lens a little. The biggest challenge we have is a redefined context for for work, and um, creating a new contract with 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 employees. Um, I think. For those that have lived through this period of remote working, um, there's, a, there's a reset in terms of the employer-employee relationship. And it's more profound th- than that uh, alone. And, and it, but I think it cuts to the heart of one of the, the big challenges we have, certainly in, in the corporate context there is enormous value that can be achieved by sustaining the very best elements of the experience we've been through, creating better working environments, healthier environments uh, for families and individuals in a work context. But we're also uh, at risk of sliding back into patterns of behavior that uh, are not particularly productive. I I think how we come out of, of the COVID era in the in a corporate and business context so that we continue to benefit from all the advances uh, that this has that actually created i think that's going to be an interesting challenge for us it's one of so many but it's one that comes to mind
0: so if i if i um you know i totally agree with what brad said about um about people being probably the most difficult and biggest opportunity biggest problem going forward that this whole reset um, has a lot of people thinking about their future but I, I, I also characterize it in uh, um, a couple of different ways. Um, I think adding to the, the whole question of remote work or how we work together or how we get the best out of people is the whole um, use of technology and the, the frightening pace at which the world is changing and the relevancy of what you learn um, this whole skills-based versus knowledge-based um, effort to engage people. I think we have to find different ways of um, educating people and also making sure that the education or the the, the way in which we reskill workers um, uh, makes them fit for a purpose for the future. Otherwise, all the other things that we see around us that get impacted when we see riots or we see uprisings or we see unhappiness or um, swirl and everything is all, a lot of it's attributable to people's um, discomfort with what their role is in society and, and are they going to be relevant or irrelevant? How do they make a living? And what is their, what is the employer's role and obligation in making the work experience um, kind of a, a life experience that is is worth living? And, um, and not to be overly dramatic, but I, I think that the I think we're only at the front end of this and nobody has the answer, Uh, but everybody kind of understands what the questions or starting to understand what the questions are. And I, I think that is at the source of a lot of other kinds of disruption.
1: Uh, indeed, it's a wake-up call or uh, a clarion call from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, what a pleasure, Marjorie Krauss, the founder and chairman of APCO Worldwide and CEO Brad Staples uh, joining us, APCO Forum, almost around the world in uh, less than 30 minutes. And thank you for joining us here on the APCO Forum. You can see the goal, and that is to have a deeper understanding of the major issues today and to assist organizations to take on a leadership role and become what we call catalysts for progress. Look out for more episodes on this platform and you can follow us on our social media channels, APCO Worldwide, and you can sign up for the podcast on your favorite platforms. I'm John Defterius for APCO Worldwide.